The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Very, very exciting news. This is a brand new series welcoming Kirsten Boileau to the Game Changers family. The series will be called Social Selling with Game Changers. What a great topic. Everybody out there needs to hear this. So let's get started. The buzz, well, the NBT, next big thing for sales. Let me give you a little background. The term Sales 2.0, I'm sure you've all heard it, was coined back in 2006. Look at the clock. That's almost a decade ago. Who started the whole thing? A gentleman named Nigel Edelshane. And that started the Sales 2.0 movement. He, by the way, is the CEO of a company called Sales 2.0 LLC, a sales training firm that teaches salespeople how to prospect more effectively. Well, soon after Sales 2.0 came into parlance, we'll use that old-fashioned phrase, the buzzword social selling started to get used. But guess what? In the intervening nine or ten years, it's just now really gaining momentum as a valuable new tool for sales reps. So it's been around, but not really so much embraced. As a sales methodology, which a lot of people see it as, social selling covers everything, the full gamut from branding and listening and relationship building to engaging, collaborating, and of course, selling. So what is this new series all about? Join us for the next 13 weeks to learn what social selling really is, how it can impact your sales organization in many positive ways, and what's the best way for your organization to climb on board the fast train to social selling success. We're going to talk about what being on social platforms has to do with sales, if you're still scratching your head. We're going to talk about why it's attractive for sales teams, the benefits of social selling, whether the rep or the customer gets the most from sales teams that are using social selling, and a lot more. So I'm very pleased to welcome our first panel. Uh, they all know each other very well. We've covered this topic on other series, but this is the debut, as I said, of Social Selling with Game Changers. My three panelists are speaking via channeling the Blues Brothers. Look it up if you don't know who they are, but I'll give you a clue. It's Elwood and Jake, and we have some great quotes. First up, I'm going to welcome Kurt Shaver, the CEO of the Sales Foundry, and here's his quote. Elwood says, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. And what does Jake say? Hit it! And I'll say that to Kurt Shaver, the first speaker on the new series. Kurt Shaver, hit it. How are you? 
Hey, Bonnie, I'm doing great, and I am excited to be a guest on this first episode. This is really, really cool beans, as some of us used to say. I'm so excited to love the topic. You've been with me before on this. Why don't you give us a little uh, interpretation of why you're channeling Elwood and Jake on this opening show of Social Selling, Kurt? Yeah, well, I just love that uh, quote in case people haven't seen or they've forgotten that movie. Uh, they're basically trying to rescue the uh, convent and the school, and so they're going to put on a music show to raise funds to do that, and they got to get back to Chicago to do it. But what, it, what that phrase really represents to me is a commitment to action because, you know, they're not, they're not exactly totally prepared. They've got a little bit of a challenge in front of them in terms of the distance they got to cover in a short amount of time. And again, they might not have everything they necessarily need to pull it off. They're not sure that they do anyway, but uh, they've got enough confidence and they realize that taking some action is better than doing nothing. So I just, I just like it because to me it, it says, you know, Hey, get in there. I think that's so appropriate. People are sometimes scared about social networking or they don't think they know everything about it. Well, you can't, you know, you can't really break anything. So just get in there and take action. <laughs> Interesting. When you talk about breaking anything, people who are afraid of social networking are the ones who are probably going to be afraid of social selling because it's a big, wide new world out there, isn't it? Isn't it, Kurt? Everything sticks. Nothing goes away. Every tweet, every post, anywhere, it's there forever. It's indelible. Do you think that's what scares people, salespeople in particular? Uh, I think, yeah, I think that is one aspect of it, the, the permanence of it. Um, I think mm-hmm. that there's some, you know, maybe fear of, of looking stupid or, you know, not knowing what you're doing or there's that, that element of it. And I think that people have also seen in the media where things can sometimes, you know, blow up uh, in a negative way online. But again, mm-hmm. programs like this are going to educate people. They're going to learn the fundamentals. They're going to learn the best practices. And again, it's so powerful that uh, the advice is learn how to use it. Don't just go hide from it. There you go. Learn how to use it. Use it well and be smart. There we go. Kurt, great introduction. And again, welcome and so excited to have you on board. Now I'm going to introduce the, my colleague at SAP, uh, the person who has the vision for this series. Very excited to welcome Kirsten Boyleau. She's the director of digital startup leading the SAP social business and social selling initiatives for SAP global marketing. And Kirsten has chosen a quote just from Elwood. Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration, don't fail me now. Kirsten, welcome. How are you? I'm wonderful, Bonnie. Thank you for uh, for putting together this show. I'm so excited to be here and, and to be starting off this great series. Wonderful. Tell me, Elwood is talking to you, talking to me, talking to everybody out there. What does this mean, Our Lady of Blessed Acceleration, don't fail me now? Well, to me, I mean, social selling or the, the term of social selling has been around for a fairly long time, seven, eight, ten years, somewhere around there. And I think that um, really it's time to take it forward. It's time to accelerate, time to, to get everyone up to speed on how to use social. It's such a powerful tool, such a great way to build relationships. And we all know that sales is all about building relationships with people, that um, it really is such a great way to, to um to take the the next step in sales, and we need to accelerate that. We need to get people on board. We need to educate and uh, give people tools to work with. Uh, That's where I would go with that. Okay, I have a question for you. I mentioned in the opening Nigel Eldershane. 
Okay, Edelshane. He coined the term Sales 2.0 back in 2006. We are now almost on the verge of 2016. That's 10 years. What took so long for this to start ramping up? Were people afraid? Didn't they have the time for commitment? Was it seen as off the beaten path and not kosher for the powers that be running sales organization? What's your quick take on why it took so long for this to really gather steam? I think back to, you know, email coming in, and I've been around long enough that I, you know, remember the advent of email, and uh, people didn't take to it. People in, you know, business didn't take to it. They wanted that hand-to-hand, you know, handshake and that face-to-face communication. They didn't feel that, you know, email was the best way to go, and email has now become, you know, it's de rigueur. Nobody talks about not doing business without email, and... um, And I think that it's the same sort of thing when it comes to social. It's a new technology, and there was there's been some bumps in the road when it comes to you know what tools we had available to to us to actually engage in social selling. Um, it, it took people a while to really understand how to use it, how to build their brand, how to actually listen, how to engage in conversation. Uh, and again, I think there also is that. Um, apprehensiveness around saying the wrong thing or talking mm-hmm. to the wrong person or, um, you know, making some mistake. And, and like Kurt said, you know, you're not really going to break it, but I think people are, because it is so out there. And as soon as you put something out there on social, you do make yourself vulnerable and people, you know, especially in North America, people are uh, appreh- very apprehensive of making themselves vulnerable and uh, especially to the wider world. So I think that's partly why it's uh, taken so long to take effect. Good points. And, and Kirsten, I think we know that sales is no different from any other parts of corporations, enterprises today. We now, it's been shown, we now have four or five generations working side by side, and that could be virtually side by side. And that means you've got your established salespeople, your reps, your stars, who didn't start out this way. Social selling did not exist. And they're probably looking at it and saying, you've got to be kidding me. I have to do what now? And they have a track record. And they're probably resisting. We'll talk about that a little later in the show, but there might be that resistance. And then, of course, you've got your millennial superstars who cut their teeth on social, digital, connectivity, the digital economy. So a lot going on in the workforce. Thank you, Kirsten. And again, congratulations on this new series. I am so excited to be working with you on this. And let's not leave our third panelist out there in the field somewhere, unless he's selling via social. It's Jim Fields, Vice President of Customer Experience Marketing for SAP. And Jim is channeling again Jake and Elwood. Jake says, How often does the train go by? And Elwood says, so often that you won't even notice it. Jim Fields, welcome. How are you? Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on, and I'm excited to be on uh, show number one of Kirsten's new uh, series. Terrific. So talk to me. What are Jake and Elwood really talking about, and whose train is going by? Well, um, they're in uh, Elwood's apartment, and there's an elevated train line, that runs past the apartment with uh, quite some regularity and is very noisy. And uh, to me, that's an ana- a little bit of an analogy for um, some people and how they uh, rattle around on social media. If you think today everybody can be a publisher, right? That doesn't mean you have to publish everything you think of, everything you find, uh, every cat video that you see, and... We all know those people who are like that train that rattles past. They're 
they put so much junk out there um, at such a high and frequent volume that you just tune them out. So it's kind of like the train going past. After a while, you just don't notice it anymore. And so you don't you don't want to be that train uh, in terms of how you participate in social media and social selling. Thank you. Jim, any thoughts on what I just asked Kirsten about the multiple generations in the workforce and in sales and the what we'll call the old dogs and, and the new young Turks? Uh, I know that's a very old phrase. Boy, am I dating myself. But any thoughts about resistance to social selling? Just a, a highlight of what you're thinking? You know, I think uh, like any, any new discipline, uh, people need to see it work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, other than the early adopters, they need to see it work before they um, they adopt it. And particularly, salespeople have a very high um, bar for what they let into their world in terms of things that would take up their time. And and um, uh, you know, because if you, you're either selling or you're not selling, right? Those are the only two worlds in which a salesperson exists. And you're either helping somebody sell or you're not. Right? I call it you're either pulling the wagon or you're sitting on the wagon. And uh, salespeople are very acute at making those decisions as to you know what gets through and gets their attention and what doesn't. And so I think it's taken a while for social selling to prove itself and get through those filters that salespeople have in terms of where they spend their time and what tools they think will help them sell. So I, I think... Um, seeing what some of the, um, the the young Turks, if you will, as you said, uh, have been doing, and some of the, some of the success that you know the early talent in the sales organizations uh, that are digital natives, and you know to them this is just a natural way to sell. Seeing the success that uh, those that younger generation is having, I think it's bringing around some of the. Um, you know, more experienced, uh, dyed-in-the-wool, you know, carriers of sales mm-hmm. bags. And you're, you're beginning <laughs> to see almost, I, I call it like a, like a reverse mentorship where the younger people are kind of, you know, helping the more experienced salespeople get up to speed on how to take advantage of these tools. Very well put. I like that. Reverse mentoring is supposed to be very popular and very positive in, in the workplace at all parts of the organization, but it probably is very applicable and smart in the sales echelons. Thank you very much, Jim. I'm going to circle back to Kurt Shaver. Kurt, you've done this with me before on other series. You know the drill. We want to know, what are you drinking right now, as in what's in your cup today, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Kurt Shaver. Well, I am enjoying a nice cup of iced mocha coffee in my gigantic game changer tub that you sent me. That uh, it's, got a, it's got a handle on it, so I guess we'll call it a cup. Uh, but that thing is giant. I I was joking to my wife that if we, you know, ever need it, we can turn it into a planter because it's. <laughs> It's nice. It's nice and big. But uh, anyway, that's what I'm using right now, and I'm having a nice iced coffee to kick off my morning here on the West Coast. Wonderful. What's the weather out there? Just briefly, warm? Is it still steamy and no rain, or what's going on? Um, you know, I'm going to answer it uh, the way that one of my uh, favorite comedians, a guy named Adam Carolla, announces it when he sort mm-hmm. of he's, he's kind of doing a parody of the uh, 
I live in Northern California, but he's doing a parody of uh, Southern California, right? And he goes, uh, hey, here's a uh, radio guy. Here's the weather report. Uh, 72 and sunny in, in uh, Irvine, 73 and sunny in uh, Orange County, 72 and sunny in Fountain Grove, 73 and sunny, right? It's basically, it's always nice. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I think we're, it's a uh, Labor Day weekend, first week of uh, summer, so we're, or first week, Last. past summer, I guess. Yeah, just past yep. summer. Um, uh, and, and anyway, it's beautiful. I, I, I'm sorry to, sorry to say it, but it's uh, beautiful. Okay. Well, we just had our little tiny rain here on Long Island about an hour ago, and it looks like the sun's coming out, so we will probably up your temperature by about 20 degrees here today. The U.S. Open, I hear, is really suffering. They're about 20 minutes away from me, and the heat is just, as you know, wiping some people out. Maybe we'll give them all Game Changers mugs, Kurt, and they can have iced coffee with you at the Open. What a promo that would be for Kirsten series. We'll have to talk about that, Kirsten. <laughs> Thank you, Kirsten. Speaking of you, where are you calling from? What are you drinking today, or what are you drinking after the show to celebrate your new series? I am uh, calling from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, and I'm technically on vacation right now, um, and so, but so happy to join and, and kick off this series. I am drinking a uh, chai tea latte, which is my favorite drink when I come into the office here. Um, we have a great uh, coffee machine in the kitchen, and uh, it's my favorite drink. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, lots of cardamom and cinnamon and, uh, you know, kind of spicy flavors with uh, a, a milk base, milk froth base. So it's really yummy. Yeah. Sounds delicious. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And Jim Fields, where are you and what's in your cup today? So I am in the lovely town of Southold, which sits in the middle of Long Island wine country on the east end of Long Island on the beautiful yes. North Fork. Yes. And it's quite warm out here today, so I am drinking, even though I'm not a bottled water guy, because I think it's not a very green and sustainable thing to do, uh, but people do come visit and leave, uh, you know, things behind, and so I'm drinking a bottle of nice cold Poland spring water, and uh, it's keeping quite cool, and it reminded me of, I read an article about Larry King this week, and um, Norm McDonald from Saturday Night Live used to do a parody of him on his show and the column he used to write for USA Today where he would have these little observations. And one of them was, hey, Poland spring water doesn't come from Poland. What's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) And I I had a friend in all seriousness who was not an English first, first uh, English language speaker, speaking person. I messed that one up. And uh, I, I served him some Turkey Hill ice cream and he said, why are there? Why is there ice cream? It's not a turkey hill. Where's the turkey? Why is it in the freezer? It's ice cream, and we went around the block on that one. So I get that very, very well. Thank you very much. As Kirsten knows, and Kurt and Kurt and Jim, Jim, we have to change your name to start with a K so we can have the the three Ks today. Anyway, as you all know, uh, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, and we all know why. And and Jim, I'm I'm waving to you from exit 33 on the LIE in Great Neck. So I'm glad you're out there in South Hold, and I hope you have a great holiday weekend. Guess what? You are listening to the debut edition, if you just joined us, of Social Selling with Game Changers Radio. 13 weeks packed with information for your salespeople. Even if you're not in sales, you're going to want to know. about this. You can share the information. Each episode will be live and then you will have the opportunity to share it on demand. So we're calling this first debut episode 
Social Selling 101 all aboard. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. So delighted to be speaking with Kirsten Boyleau, the sponsor of this series, as well as Kurt Shaver from the Sales Foundry and Jim Fields at SAP. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Kurt and I are going to talk about whether social selling is really a brand new skill or an old skill, revisited, regenerated, renewed. We're going to find all that out. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Social media is taking sales organizations by storm, and only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a new tool that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and building the systems to truly measure the impact of social. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Social Selling with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. You're listening to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Social Selling with Game Changers. Welcome back. You're listening to the debut episode of a brand new series called Social Selling with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP here on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with my special panel on this debut. We have Kirsten Boyleau. Director of Digital Startup, leading the SAP Social Business and Social Selling Initiatives for SAP Global Marketing. We have Kurt Shaver, the CEO of the Sales Foundry, and Jim Fields, VP of Customer Experience Marketing for SAP. We started off with a little background on what is Sales 2.0 and talking about the term social selling and implications for all of the generations working side-by-side in the workforce. Now we're ready to kick off our roundtable nonstop for the next 40 minutes. Kurt Shaver is going to do the honors. Kurt, I'm looking at your notes and let's start here. You say sales experts talk about social selling as a brand new skill. The activities may seem new in part because they are so old. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to throw in my favorite French phrase, Kurt, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same and ask you, is that what we're talking about? And why don't you set the stage for us? Kurt Shaver, go ahead. 
Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Well, what I mean by that is that social, social selling is selling using social networks, and we've already talked on the show that social networks, in fact, are not even that new because the, at least the big three of LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter have all been around more than a decade. But um, more importantly, if we think of the second word in the term, selling, that's been around a pretty long time, and the fundamental practices, the principles that surround it, uh, again, tried and true, right? Whether it was Dale Carnegie and his book from the 1930s, How to Win Friends and Influence People, or a little bit more modern things like Harvey McKay's 66 Things You Need to Know About Customers. All those practices of rapport and uh, relationship building and empathy and an emotional intelligence and uh, networking, all of those things that are fundamental selling skills, still apply in the social selling world. And uh, one of my friends, Miles Austin, has a great term. He says, hey, it's uh, new tools, but old rules. And so that's really where Jim had mentioned earlier the idea of the reverse mentoring and uh, pairing the maybe younger salespeople with the more seasoned salespeople. And that's really where these two things can come together and the groups can really help each other is because the senior people understand all the fundamental sales principles, even if they don't have the technology mechanics down pat. Conversely, younger people, great on the technology mechanics, but don't have the life skills for uh, all the fundamentals. So that's what I mean by it's, uh, it's so new that it's actually old. Very interesting. Kirsten, thoughts on this? I was just going to say, I, I love that Kurt's got that, that viewpoint that, you know, the, the, the millennials, the early talent, they, they have the digital skills, but they don't necessarily have the sales skills to, to, to marry the two together. Um, and, you know, the, the more senior uh, sales staff have, you know, have that um, sales methodology down pat, but don't necessarily have the digital skills. Uh, and I, you know, in my, in my role, I'm, I work with everyone from those brand new early talent, new sales reps, all the way up to our most senior sales, uh, staff. And I find that, um, it's, uh, interestingly enough, some of the, the, not all of them, but some of the early talent people don't see the value in social selling. They're like, you know what, it's really just, you know, it's for me and my friends to chat, to chat back and forth. It's not meant for a business thing. And we, you know, we, we have a hard time sometimes, you know, changing that thinking. And, and at the other end of the spectrum, we, you know, the, the more senior salespeople, um, they're, they're ready to embrace it. They want to know. They're, they're seeing that the, the, the things that they, the traditional methods that they've had um, great success with in the past, the, the cold calling and the cold emailing uh, are, are just bottoming out and they're not having any success and they and they see that uh, social is having a great success and so they are eager to embrace it it's it's an interesting um thing i never when i started this role i never would have expected uh to see that um and i always thought that you know the the early talent would be great at at doing social selling because they you know they get the digital aspect of it. But the, interestingly enough, they don't understand. They don't understand how to brand themselves properly. They don't understand how, what it means to listen socially. They do understand the engaging in conversation, but on a, from a business aspect, they're often um, apprehensive because they don't have the knowledge behind them around products or uh, around you know that thought leadership um, subject matter expertise yet. So they're a little bit apprehensive, whereas you know. 
the people at the other end of the spectrum are, are actually, um, they just need to figure out how to use the technology, but they are interested in, in being part of that. It's, it's a really interesting um, dichotomy. It certainly is, and I want to make sure Jim Fields gets his word in here. Jim, you've been listening to Kurt and Kirsten. What are your thoughts? I'll tell you one thing that the early talent has figured out is uh, before they enter the business world, to make sure to take down those pictures of them doing a cake stand in the backyard of a frat house. So <laughs> I, I, I used to see that a lot, those kinds of photos that really would not be, you know, Kirsten said about um, people needing to brand themselves. Um, and I used to see that a lot with the younger generation, not so much anymore. I think the message has gotten through that, um, you know, we talked before about the permanence of stuff online. Mm-hmm. And I, I do see as they enter the workforce, they're kind of scrubbing their history, their online history and you're removing anything that could make you kind of raise an eyebrow, you know, as you encounter them in the business world. So I think that's, that's a smart thing. And I'm glad that message has gotten through. Very interesting. And, and the word relationships, relationship building has come in. I think somebody mentioned the word empathy, and I just wanted to tell all of you there's an op-ed in the September 4th, 2015 New York Times by David Brooks. I think everybody's with, familiar with him. And the title of this article is The New Romantics in the Computer Age. I'm scanning it quickly here. He quotes Jeff Colvin, C-O-L-V-I-N, in his book, Humans Are Underrated. I think you know where we're going with this. And he said, improving your cognitive skills is no longer good enough. Uh, t- Tasks that matter today in the workplace are relational. Be a caregiver. Be part of a team. Be empathetic. Traditional jobs are declining. Relational jobs are expanding. Empathy becomes a more important workplace skill. Talking about machines taking over the functional jobs, relationship building empathy is still going to be human. Anybody want to quickly comment on that before we move on? Kirsten or Kurt or or Jim, did anybody else see that today? I yeah, didn't I would, see that, but I, I talked earlier to a team here in uh, at SAP, and we were talking about how you know building relationships with customers, and and I said those relationships are so key. Customers don't buy from from uh, glass buildings; they don't buy from companies; they buy from people. Relationships are are absolutely key going forward, and they always have been, really. Absolutely, that you know, is the part. I'm a, Plus, Ashange, go ahead. Yes. I'm a big believer in the wisdom of Ralph Cramden from the Honeymooners, uh, <laughs> and one of his, one of my favorite phrases from him was, "Be nice to the people you meet on the way up, because you're going to meet those same people on the way down." And I think uh, a lot of people in business don't get that the way they need to. That by building relationships as you go through uh, your day, your week, your month, your year, um, those people will be there for you when you need them if you need a favor, if you need a connection, uh, if you need to get their boss to make a phone call for you, whatever it is um, that you need uh, can come from having laid that groundwork on a personal level. And a lot of people just, um, you know, to your point before, Bonnie, they, they just kind of miss that. Mm-hmm. It's, about, it's about people and, and having that network, whether you build it in person, online, or, you know, in all kinds of multimedia uh, to be successful in the world today, you absolutely need um, those relationships that you can tap on to help you accomplish you know, your goals. 
Thank you. Humans are indeed underrated, and human human nature and human communications, I think, are what what uh, Colvin's talking about. Let's move on in a slightly new direction. I mentioned at the beginning, Kirsten, in the, that in this series we're going to talk about the benefits. What's the big deal? Okay, so you do it, you do it well, you do social selling, you're networking, you have a digital footprint, you're out there building relationships, you're empathetic, great. But what does it really mean? We all know there's going to be a bean counter somewhere who's saying, "Well, how much did you sell? How?" Much many upsells did you do? How many new people did you talk to? How is your pipeline? So let's talk about that. And let me read from your notes, Kirsten. You say social selling is a very attractive means of communicating with customers. Okay, we get that. But here you say, the reach and potential impact of 10 to 15 minutes of engaging in the social conversation. I said 10 to 15 minutes, not 10 to 15 days or hours. Those 10 to 15 minutes can have as much or more impact as making one hundred or more cold calls. I think that's a number everybody can embrace. Kirsten, talk to me. Where does this come from? Uh, this is just from my own experience. Uh, I've seen some research around, you know, the, the statistics that, you know, two and a half cold, two and a half percent uh, appointment rate out of a hundred cold calls. So that, you know, you might spend five days doing a hundred cold calls and only get two point, two appointments out of it on average, two and a half appointments. That's, that's just not a, a good investment of your time. Whereas you're spending 10 to 15 minutes listening to what your customers are talking about and then, you know, making sure you're sharing relevant and engaging content to them and to your own network to build your reputation. Uh, that, those 10 to 15 minutes, they, um, multiply exponentially because you might only do it for 10 to 15 minutes, but that information is there forever. And so people might come back to it, uh, you know, three, three months from now, three days from now, three weeks from now, and you just have it. Your name is always attached to it, and you are going to be known and build that reputation and get to be known as that subject matter expert. Whereas, you know, that, the one phone call that might get answered, if they don't hang up on you, they might say, you know what, I'm just not interested in that t- at this time. Uh, d- does that, is that really a great investment of your time? Really not. It really is not. And so, um, it, it, when it comes back to the bean counters and the financial, you know, aspect of it, the, the returns on investment are just so much bigger. Very, very interesting. I, one thing you said before I bring Jim and Kurt into this, Kirsten, you said your name is always attached to it. Yes. Think of the times. I think uh, Kurt Shaver talks about the, what was it, the 19-something Taurus, 1950, 1989 Taurus, with all of the posters and the boxes of brochures, data sheets, catalogs in the trunk of the car because that's what salespeople had to do with boxes and boxes of paper. And what if that brochure landed somewhere and the salesperson didn't have his or her name on it and the sales goes through, how would anybody know unless they hand-wrote it or put a, a darling little return address stamp on it, right? How would they know it belonged to them? <laughs> Kirsten, I love that. Could you re- just reinforce that before we bring the guys into this? Your name is always attached to your social media communications. Just uh, just reinforce that one for a second before we move on. Sure. I mean, every time you share something out into uh, into the social um, platforms, whether you're using Twitter or you're using LinkedIn or you're using some other platform, a more regional platform, your name is always attached to that piece of content. It gets shared by other people. It gets liked or favorited by other people. It, it gets commented on. It gets engaged with. And your name always comes across as some, you know, this was shared by 
uh, Kirsten Boileau, and this is what she had to say about it. And uh, this one was shared by Kurt, and this one was shared by Jim, and that name is always, always attached to it. And it, it's a 24-7 potential um, in, in front of your customers, in front of your potential prospects, always there, always on. Thank you very much, Jim Fields. We've added a lot of information to this, a boiling pot of good information on social selling. What do you think about uh, Kirsten's comments? Yeah, I think um, I, I think that goes back to you know what we were talking about before in terms of personal brand, right? You are what you tweet, basically, um, <laughs> in, in your <laughs> very, online. Very good. In, in your, coin a phrase. Um, but I, 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 I've also been and, and um, guys on my team have been doing a lot of work lately in the area of influencing the influencers. And I think that's an important way for people to amplify their voice where, you know, when you're trying to be seen as somebody worth listening to and paying attention to in a particular space, once you define what that space is you want to play in, then you you can figure out who are the players there already whose voices resonate most loudly, and you can build relationships with them um, so that when you have something to say, Often they will, uh, uh, you know, amplify it. They'll share it through their networks. And so then you're kind of getting that third-party endorsement of those influencers toward the customers and prospects that you really want to have those conversations with and build those relationships with. And so that concept of influencing the influencers, I think, can be a, a, a tremendous way to you know, burnish your personal brand and also serve as kind of a door opener to getting introductions to new people. Lovely. And I have to tell you, Jim, I don't want to break your heart, but there is a book called You Are What You Tweet, Harness the Power of Twitter to Create a Happier, Healthier Life. The author is Germany, just like the country, Germany Kent, K-E-N-T, Effective Tools and Daily Habits to Create a Positive Social Media Experience. And they have a Twitter page. I don't know if Germany is a man or a woman, but you can go find the book. I love what you said, Jim, that phrase you just used about burnishing your social brand, your branding, burnishing. Uh, young people in our audience might not know that that means, that word means polishing something to a shine. Burnishing doesn't mean burning. You have to have the ish in there. I just wanted to clarify that. Can you just talk about that for a second before we get Kurt in on this, Jim? Yeah, I think it has to be an intentional thing. It can't be an accidental thing, right? So you, as you engage in the social spheres, um, and, and participate in these networks we're talking about. You need to have a, a point of view as to how you want to represent yourself and your brand and work specifically to accomplish that as opposed to just, you, you know, higgledy-piggledy throwing stuff out there and, you know, whatever you come across is something that, you know, you, you push out into your network. And it sounds calculating... And it is, uh, mm-hmm. in a sense, but in a good way, right? Um, because, as Kirsten said, your name is on that. And so that thing should represent you well, that thing being your online brand and your online persona. 
Terrific. Thank you. Kurt Shaver, you've been listening so patiently. I know you have something to say about burnishing branding, about you are what you tweet, thoughts about the efficiency of social as a selling tool versus, and I know some people would prefer to do those hundred or more cold calls. I'm sure there are people out there. What's your thought, Kurt? Well, again, if we look at the term social selling, a lot of times when VPs of sales hear it, right, they react to the social word there and they think about social media and they think about marketing and they think about branding and right they'll, they'll send you off to the marketing department again social social selling is uh, duh um, uh, activated by the sales team so we're talking about a, a, a sales team usually b2b sales teams um, implementing these activities and the main takeaway the main outcome that that our clients really are looking for is more appointments so it's a, it's a it's a sales driven lead generation technique uh, aimed at the beginning of the sales cycle, and it's accomplished through two primary activities, right? It's either um, inbound marketing, which does sort of smell like uh, social media, right, because that's mm-hmm. a content attraction strategy. And again, again, sometimes VPs of sales think that's all it is, but it's also an outbound prospecting strategy kind of akin to the cold calls we've been talking about. Um, In particular, the social network LinkedIn gives you that database of almost 400 million business professionals that can be searched and sorted according to your ideal customer demographic. So if we're talking about what are the outcomes, what are the results, it's really sales, it's individual salesperson driven lead generation using one of these two uh, techniques that just happened to occur on a social network. Thank you. Guess what? I want to move this a little further into the efficiency, the effectiveness, the bean counting, if you will. I know I hate that phrase too. Jim Fields, I'm looking at your notes, and let's talk about every employee is a brand ambassador. They may not know it, but they are, and companies should proactively leverage that fact. Here's the math. We're doing math with Kirsten talking about how many minutes on social equates to the 100 or more cold calls. Ugh. Well, here's what Jim says. If a company has 10,000 employees, that's not a huge company, not a tiny one, but not huge, and each of the employees has connections with just 500 contacts in their various social networks. Now, anybody who's on social knows uh, most of the people, we all, the three of us know, have at least 500 contacts on LinkedIn alone. I've got on my personal Twitter 2,700 contacts and almost 7,000 on my BizBreak radio handle. And I I know among the three of us, we probably have millions of ripple effects. So if each of the 10,000 employees has 500 contacts total, that's built-in access to 5 million people, which can drive a heck of a lot of influence and brand preference. So help me through this math problem, Jim. How did you come up with this? It, it kind of reminds me of the old scenario where, you know, you'd meet somebody at a backyard barbecue at a neighbor's house and they'd say, oh, who do you work for? Oh, what does that company do? And that is always your opportunity to make or break the reputation of the company you work with with that person. So this is really kind of that concept on steroids where mm-hmm. e- each of us, in addition to having a personal brand, we also are part of our corporate brand and representatives and, and, and ambassadors of that. Um, and so I think, you know, I'm going back to that word I used before, intentional. I think mm-hmm. companies are becoming more intentional in how they uh, 
enable their employees to be better ambassadors for the brand. Not in, not in commercial ways, uh, not in ways that feel like promotional or advertising, but in ways that help them kind of um, represent the culture and the values of the organization and the values that you know, they bring to their part of the market. Um, and so I think over the next couple of years, you will see more and more companies uh, putting together programs to um, enable more of their employees to become these brand ambassadors. Interesting. And that brings up a question, Jim, before I get Kurt and Kirsten on this. question is, should companies require their salespeople to have a fulfill a quota of contacts? Provable, demonstrable, yes, I have X number of contacts on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, maybe on a, a company Facebook page or a, a company branding page, that they should say, yes, I'm in. Both feet are in into the cement. We talked about indelible imprint and branding that never goes away and your name is always attached. Well, should companies ask their salespeople, okay, I'm going to give you six months and I want you to show me that you have 500 contacts across at least three types of social networks. Jim, thoughts on that? Is that too uh, Machiavellian I, I, or big, big brother? I think, um, you know, salespeople do respond well to having quotas assigned to them. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, if, if, if a salesperson is making their numbers, frankly, no one's going to really care uh, about what their social network looks like. For, for the ones who are, working their way up the chain and trying to build mm-hmm. relationships that they can leverage into sales, I think that's a very appropriate kind of a um, challenge to put out there for them. But, ah. it, it, you know, the ones who are making their numbers, you know, it doesn't matter. they're making their numbers. And they're doing it well. Thank you. Very interesting. I just thought I'd toss that over the fence. Kurt Shaver, I'm tossing, tossing it over the fence to you, too. What do you think? Well, yeah, to drill down on that specific topic, um, I think that's a great uh, idea. And a lot of my clients use that as a metric, and right, it doesn't have to be punitive. Let's have some fun and make it a contest, right? So uh, contests are great ways to draw out behavior. And so, beyond, but I will say beyond, you don't want to probably just look at raw connection counts because that's a pretty gross metric. So usually what my clients are doing is they're filtering that to represent people in their particular industry. Like if a client's in business insurance, they might, they do a lot of referrals with attorneys, bankers, and CPAs. So it might Mm -hmm. be, okay, how many, let's have a contest around how many um, of the ABCs, as they call it, that you're connected to. Or if you're in the information security space, it might be how many um, CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers, are you Mm -hmm. connected to? So you could get real specific and make it a contest and have fun. And uh, I'll also just add that I've also have clients that that will use that as a metric in hiring people, right? Because, uh, you know, I mean, obviously a very classic thing a salesperson would say is, oh, I'm totally connected in this industry. I've got this huge <laughs> book and contact. Well, in the past, you, there was no way to prove it. But now the interviewer can say, that's fantastic. Can you pull up your LinkedIn profile right now and show me? Wow. Wow. What, you, you just, just uh, threw me for a loop there. I didn't think about that as an incoming hiring qualification. Kirsten, is this being done in practice? Have you seen it? Do you use it? What does this mean to you? I don't think it's being done yet, although it's an, uh, a strategy that I'm looking to, to move towards. Um, I, I don't think anybody looks at like a, a LinkedIn SSI or social selling index yet um, or looks to see how many, you know, C-level executives and VP-level executives uh, uh, um 
prospect is connected to, uh, I think it's a great strategy because I, I really feel that, you know, even if a rep is hitting their numbers now, uh, five years from now, if they don't gain the skills around social selling, they may not be. Uh, they, and they'll be so far behind the, the, the eight ball that it you know, be so hard to catch up. Um, so I really think that it needs to be part of our hiring strategy uh, for anybody, um, you know, big, small company in between. It really needs to be part of what you, the way you look at uh, the people that you're hiring and how social they are, um, because it's really going to be a, a key factor in how successful they are going forward. Interesting. And I, I have seen yeah, uh, specific yep. cases where, in, in marketing anyway, not, not sales, where one person was hired over another because all things being equal, that person had a much higher clout score. And the job mm-hmm. they were being hired into was uh, related to social media where, you know, your clout score is an important metric of your level of engagement. So yet people I- are starting to use those things in, in hiring decisions. Well, I wanted to tell you while you were speaking, I looked up Fortune 500 CEO SSIs just out of curiosity, and I found Fortune's 2014 Global 500 rankings list of CEOs running the top 50 companies. Let me, I know it's a year old, but just let me rattle off a couple here. 80% of global CEOs are engaged socially. Kirsten, that's a pretty good, I'm, I'm impressed. 76% of Fortune's most powerful women in business engage socially. Six, and the numbers are falling. 68% of global CEOs have a presence on their company website. 54% of global CEOs appear in company videos. Uh, let me see what else we've got here. 25% increase in European social CEOs, the highest growth rate of regions in the study. And there's been a two time, 200% increase in social CEOs since 2010. Now, if we do the math, I talked in the beginning that social uh, sales, sales 2.0 and social selling was coined around 2006 by Nigel Edelshane. And here we are in 2015 on the, on the brink of 2016. So if you cut that just about in half, you've got 2010. So CEOs are climbing on board. Do you think this is good, Kirsten, that they are setting an example or raising the bar for their sales employees if they participate in social? Oh, I think it's absolutely critical, critical for uh, any organization to have their leadership be on social in order for those, uh, you know, salespeople and marketing and anyone else that's involved uh, can be involved in the social conversation. If you want people to actually participate, you, it needs to come from the top down. Because if it's important to the top levels of the organization, it's got to be important to the rest of the organization. Um, it's, and it's critical because it shows thought leadership. It shows um, actual leadership. It shows uh, involvement in the day-to-day activities of what's happening within the organization. It, it shows involvement to the customers. It shows that you are, you know, truly engaged and understand and can, you know, relate to their challenges, to, you know, to your customers' challenges and that kind of thing. It just is, it's absolutely critical for anyone at that, those upper levels to be involved in social for the success of the overall company. 
Thank you very much. And guess what, Kirsten, Kurt, and Jim, we are ready to go to our predictions round. I think we've been doing a little predicting during the entire conversation, but now formally we're entering the crystal ball prediction segment. Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry. You know the drill. I'm going to give you, let's see how much time we have left, six minutes. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Tell me, if we fast forward this conversation, I won't say 13 weeks ahead when Kirsten's series is done, and I hope she will renew for another 13 after that because this is a great topic. But let's fast forward to 2020 or 2018. Kurt, what will be different? What will change? Will we even be calling it social selling? Kurt Shaver, prediction, 60 seconds, go. Well, first, I think we probably will not be calling it social selling. It'll just be so common it's incorporated into selling. And that's going to result from the fact that it's not an early adopter scenario like it still currently is, but it's you know probably used, moved past mainstream and, you know, is now uh, maybe considered a, a laggard thing if we're looking four or five years out. So, uh, I, so I think the practices will be very commonplace. The term will disappear. But um, specifically, I think what we're going to see four to five years out is that the systems that salespeople are using now, which is primarily CRM, but there's other um, tools that are involved in the everyday sales rep's life. I think all of those will uh, incorporate all these features, which right now are mostly in like stand-along or plug-in applications that surround their core applications. So I think it's that, that integration seamlessness of the technology that will be the most apparent change if we were to look backwards from four or five years. Thank you very much. Well put, as always, Kirsten Boylow, sponsor of this new series. What do you see? How far in the future? 60 seconds, go. Oh, I think we are going to, like Kurt said, I would echo his statements that we we are not going to be calling it social selling. It won't be a brand new um, methodology or a concept or skill set to to learn. It will be part of what we do on an everyday basis, just like, you know, email is part of what we do on an everyday basis. And I really uh, feel that it's going to be... um, so much more engaging that uh, people are not going to be using social to to make those hard sells, and I see a lot of people doing it wrong right now. They're, they're you know they come to me, they want to connect with me, and then they want to sell me something immediately. Um, and it, it and social is not about those hard sells. You wouldn't you wouldn't go to uh, a coffee. Uh, date with someone and, 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 you know, immediately sit down and say, I've got this great solution for you, you would sit down and start to ask them some questions and learn more about them and, and build a relationship with them. And that's what we'll see social doing. People will be doing it, more people will be doing it right uh, than wrong. Ah, I like that. Very good. Not only predictions, but optimistic. Jim Fields, I save 60 seconds for you. Go. I think the next generation of social selling will be and it, this is being done in some corners of uh, companies today, is where you will see salespeople become much more savvy as to how to listen to what's happening in networks, um, the behavior that people at their target companies are exhibiting online, um, you know, through, through their, their various digital and social activities. Uh, and they will begin to consume that intelligence at a much more sophisticated level. 
because it will be the it, and is becoming the new uh, engine of demand generation, right? Because when you think about it, and the, and the tools are coming available that are very powerful for doing this, um, it it and in the in the hands of a sophisticated person, salesperson who knows what those signals are telling them, it, it can really light up uh, the board on hey. This company, based on what we're seeing happening in, you know, among their people moving through the digital space, they're interested in looking at these kind of solutions or solving these kind of problems. And as I said, it's being done today to some level, but I think we'll see a much more level, a higher level of sophistication of that intelligence. And, um, you know, the better sales reps will jump on it and, you know, use it to their benefit. Thank you very much. Great predictions from all three. I have to say what a pleasure this has been, launching a brand new series called Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Our debut panel, Kurt Shaver at the Sales Foundry. Thank you, Kurt. Always great to speak with you. Kirsten Boyleau, extraordinary sponsor, first level participant, first floor. Here you are. I hope you will come back on your own series. Guess what? There's always a seat on the panel for you, Kirsten, because you are sponsoring it. So I really think you ought to come back often. Jim Fields at SAP always adds so many interesting things. I hope you enjoy your Labor Day weekend out in the South Fork. Jim, wish I was there, but I'm not going to get on the LAE now. And a thank you to Michael, our engineer here at Voice America, the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a, here we go, social selling game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.